When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast is brought to you by WorldwideGolfShops.com. Be sure to visit WorldwideGolfShops.com today to get some of the best deals on all the major brands in golf equipment and apparel. In fact, you'll probably find a lot of stuff that you'll hear from the brands that we have every week on our show. Once again, that's WorldwideGolfShops.com. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. Follow us all over social media at Golf Unfiltered, and you can send us an email, golfunfiltered at gmail.com. Hello to our friends over at thehackersparadise.com, and those of you listening to this episode on the THP mobile app. And of course, a big shout out to our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon Golf. Playing their equipment still, folks. Love it. I feel like uh, you guys already know that, though. And of course, uh, be sure to go out and check out all the great equipment they have over at Cleveland and Srixon. Today, folks, we are speaking to two guests, Mr. Gary Nickel and Carl Morris. Uh, they are the authors of a great, great new putting instructional book, The Lost Art of Putting, Introducing the Six Putting Performance Principles. You can find it on Amazon. It has been trending as number one on Amazon for uh, instructional books for a while. Uh, they, uh, they teach us a lot today, uh, in today's conversation. I learned a lot about putting and, and frankly, I think I'm a pretty decent putter. I'm sure a lot of people say that about themselves. Uh, but I would have classified putting as probably the best part of my game. And after reading through the book, after speaking with, uh, Gary and Carl, uh, there's just so many different things that I want to try now. And these are two guys that have worked with major championship winners. They have worked with uh, folks who have played on the Ryder Cup. They know what they're talking about. And I think you'll see, or at least here in today's episode, uh, what I mean by that. And again, the name of the book is The Lost Art of Putting. So uh, sit back and relax. If you want to improve your putting, and who doesn't? Honestly, who doesn't want to improve the way that they putt? You're going to learn quite a bit, I hope, from today's conversation with Mr. Uh, Gary Nickel and Carl Morris. Hi, this is Bill Hobson from the Four Golfers Network podcast. And as you and I enjoy this episode of Golf Unfiltered with my friend Adam, I'm reminded of an indisputable reality. We, as golfers, are nuts. We chase a small ball around the planet, spending thousands of dollars in the effort to get that ball into a tiny hole. We then yell at the ball and curse it when it doesn't listen, even though it can't listen, it's a ball. This insanity is all part of the magic of the game, and it's what we celebrate on the Four Golfers Network podcast every Monday when a fresh episode comes your way on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, you know, all the places. So after you finish listening to Adam today, I'd love to have you check out the Four Golfers Network podcast, that's F-O-R-E, where we celebrate the game with top-name guests and an exploration of the things about golf that both drive us crazy and bring us back for more. I stink! 
The ball is just sitting there, and I can't hit it. Welcome back, folks. As I mentioned at the top of the show, very, very excited to welcome two people on today's episode, Mr. Gary Nickel and Mr. Carl Morris. They are the authors of The Lost Art of Putting, introducing the six putting principle, uh, six putting performance principles. And it's a fantastic book that I've been working through over the last uh, few weeks here. Had the opportunity to really try out a lot of the stuff that's presented in the book. And we're going to get into that today. But gentlemen, first of all, thanks for taking some time out on your Saturday to speak with me today. No problem, Adam. It's great to be with you. Yeah, pleasure to be joining you. And so today, uh, guys, we're going to talk a lot about some of the stuff that you present in the book it's very interactive, which we will touch on. But before we get into that part of the conversation, I'd like for you to introduce yourselves to our listeners. And Gary, let's start with you. How about you just start with how much uh, your experience in the game of golf, where you're working out of right now, and anything you'd like our listeners to know? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm based at a place called Archfield Links, just outside Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, we are literally right next door to Muirfield, which is probably a name that's familiar with most of your listeners out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been involved in golf. I turned pro in 1988, which sounds like an awful long time ago. It doesn't actually feel that like it's all that long ago. <laughs> um, I've been down at Archfield for about seven or eight years now, and before that I spent pretty much 16 years um, coaching tour pros on the European tour, traveling the world. So I've been very fortunate that I've worked with an awful lot of very, very good golfers and seen a lot of the world's uh, in the process as well so yeah golf's been good to me sounds like it and carl how about you yeah i'm, I'm not in quite as glamorous places as, uh, as gary i'm based in the middle part of england in manchester where it's it's famed for, for rain if nothing else but uh, <laughs> um but yeah i i can beat gary i was i turned professional in uh, in 1986 which uh, which now does seem a long time ago <laughs> um but uh, so the last sort of twenty years or so, I've been involved more on the uh, on the performance side of, of coaching. Spent a lot of time on the on the European tour, and uh, and, and been fortunate uh, again, like Gary, to work with some uh, some pretty good players over the years. And fortunate to work with uh, a few major winners as well. Uh, probably people may remember Louis Oosthuizen winning the Open by seven shots in St mm-hmm. Andrews in two thousand and ten, and I just started working with him just before that. And Graham McDowell, Darren Clark, one or two others. So, so yeah, again, the the game's been uh, been very very kind to me. Some big names there, and gentlemen, obviously, you've seen a lot of different putters in your careers. I think that would be safe to say, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and I always say the one thing that they all have in common is they find their own way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's got that unique technique or they've they've heard some new tip that they want to try i even know the, the four, uh, three guys i play with in my foursome they they all seem to change their putting styles every so often which just boggles my mind but i'm sure we'll get to here in a little and bit as well no doubt oh absolutely believe well that to be completely fair in my office right now i've got a line of putters so i am no better in that regard okay <laughs> yeah. um to that point though uh gentlemen obviously um you know the the book itself is about the art of putting, or in your in this case, the lost art of putting. And clearly, yes. there was something that prompted the both of you to want to collaborate to bring this type of book to everybody. And you know, Carl, maybe we start with you. What actually prompted you? Was there an a, an event or something that you noticed that said, "Hey, you know what? Now's the time that we need to write a book." And then, Gary, I'll go to you after Carl. Yeah, it, it kind of crept up on us, really. We, uh, we'd we started to do some work together. I mean, Gar- me and Gary had known each other probably not as closely as we should have done for a lot of years on the European tour, but then we started to do some uh, workshops together at Archerfield, and we, we focused on putting, and 
we, we just got some people coming along and they had some great experiences and we both said there must be a book in this somewhere and it mm. it was kind of I think in the early days it was more just a it was more just clarifying our own ideas about the things that seemed to really resonate with people and we put those ideas down and uh, you know, the book got published, and we we never really expected the response that we've that we've got. To be honest, I mean, it's been number one on Amazon for a while, and the number of, you know, emails and messages that we keep getting from from all over the world is is uh, is really exciting. And I think we kind of struck a chord, really, at a moment in time, because um, I heard a phrase years ago uh, by Chuck Hogan, who was a big influence on me, and he said that we're we're drowning in information but searching for knowledge. And I think that pretty much sums up our, our era at the moment. You know, there's so much technical information out there. There's so much on YouTube, et cetera. And people can sort of disappear down a rabbit hole of trying to achieve the perfect stroke. And we sort of felt that, you know, Gary mentioned there about seeing all different kinds of putters. I, my, my hero was, was Seve Ballesteros growing mm-hmm. up. And, you know, Seve talked about every putt that he hit. He felt like he either hooked the ball or cut the ball into the into the hole. And the scientists would say that that didn't actually happen. But he was he was the kind of art, ultimate artistic player. You know, so we feel as though that the, 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 there's so much science knocking around, which has its place. Obviously, we're not denying that. But when you when you get out onto the golf course, if you want to hold some putts under pressure, if you want to get the job done in the monthly be- monthly medal, you're probably better off tuning more into the art of rolling the ball into the hole rather than the technical side of hmm. uh, of putting perfection. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic there. Uh, Gary, how about yourself? Well, Carl's just stolen all my lines there, basically. I was going to say pretty much what he's just said, <laughs> <laughs> which is no surprise, really, because uh, we're very much in tune in our, our thoughts and, and the way we kind of look at the, the game of golf, and especially putting. I think ultimately we've, we've both always looked at golf in, this, in general, putting, in, well, putting specifically through the eyes or the lens of the golfer, and, you know, as Carl said, there's an awful lot of technology out there, there's an awful lot of science out there that is designed to help. But unfortunately, when it's used incorrectly, it can just mess your head up and get your brain tied in knots. And, you know, it's, as Carl talked about, the, the almost relentless and perhaps senseless pursuit of perfection. You know, what mm. does a perfect putting stroke look like? I mean, if you ask 10 people, they'll all give you their own opinion or version of that. So, you know, we're the book is very much all about trying to find your way. Not We're not saying you've got to do it a specific way. We're just kind of introducing our readers to some concepts and allowing them to, to personalize them and make them their own, take ownership of them. And we find that to be enormously helpful. That's one of the elements of the book itself that I enjoyed the most, that it was pretty overt, that you all said, you know what, you're going to do it the way that you that works for you, but here are some techniques and some mindsets that you need to get into in order to help you make that way the most successful as possible for yourself. And one of the elements early on in the book that you introduce to the reader is changing your story. And we've heard a lot about this type of technique, right? It's about, uh, not even in the, in the golf world, it's about just you know positive thinking or, or projecting what it is that you want to see happen. What what is changing your story in your mind, Gary? I'll start with you. Yeah, well, I think basically we, we tend to play out the story we we carry around with us. So if, if you keep telling yourself you're not going to be very, you're not a very good putter, 
and you always have three three putts in a round. You know, if you've not had any three putts by the time you get to the 16th tee, <clears throat> excuse me, chances are your brain and body will go to work to actually create these three three putts <laughs> right. because you, you know they're, you know they're coming because you've told yourself they're coming. So Carl introduced me to a fantastic phrase that we, we both use an awful lot about the thinker and the prover, what the thinker thinks the prover proves. Mm. So, yeah, you know, rather than we're trying to get people to, to snap out of the mindset of, you know, I'm not a very good putter. Now, if you are not a very good putter, then you can't just change your story and become a great putter overnight. But you can accept that the story you're telling yourself perhaps isn't all that helpful or useful. And Carl, the thinker and the prover, a little bit more on, on that particular dynamic. Yeah, basically, in, inside of our brain, that the, the problem with this, with these these stories, is that they're operating at an unconscious level because you've either been given the story by somebody else, or you've repeated the story to yourself so many times that you're not even aware of this kind of like uh, track soundtrack running inside of your head. And basically, what's happening with that? That if if the thinker thinks that you are a poor putter, the prover, as a part of the brain, aims to aims to keep supporting that evidence or finding that evidence. What the thinker thinks, the prover proves. So every three put that you have is an opportunity for the prover to confirm the existing story that you're not very good on the greens. Every every bad putting round, and every time you confirm that story when you're talking with other people. Um, you know, there was a there was a wonderful line, uh, I believe, that, that one of the great coaches, Harvey Pennick, mm-hmm. uh, whose two famous pupils, Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw, uh, both went on the PGA Tour at the, at the same time. And apparently they had dinner before they went out on tour. And uh, Tom Kite said to Harvey Pennick, if there was one single piece of advice you'd give us, Mr. Pennick, what would it be? And he, and he looked at them both and he said, make sure you go to dinner with good putters. And what and what sounds like a kind of throwaway line there was genius in it because Harvey Pennick instinctively knew the power of the story, that if you hang around with people who are always wanting to moan about how bad they are on the greens and misery loves company, and these stories uh, gather so much momentum. And a lot of this work for me was influenced by a book called Redirect by a guy called Timothy Wilson. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not just it's not just golf that the story applies to. It's all of your life, really, and you know the limitations that we put on ourselves, these hallucinations of our capability, and what we're just saying to people is just just begin to question that. And yeah, you can't just close your eyes and change the story overnight. But number one, you can become aware of your current story, and then propose to yourself that you might just be about to go on a journey where you learn to become a better putter you might learn some principles that make a big difference and then if you can buy into that new story that you're learning to be great on the greens and you're learning to enjoy putting then the thinker and prover go into a different kind of uh, system they're they're aiming to support that new story as opposed to the the old story that holds you back so much that's very interesting and, and would you say then that when students come to you for help with their putting uh is it a matter of them expecting some change in their physical stroke that you're going to give them the secret that they've been missing all along when in <laughs> fact it's more uh, getting their their mental side of the game correct yeah well i mean what we say to people we get them to understand this that you can spend forever trying to achieve this technical perfection which by the way will be based on somebody's of somebody else's opinion of what technical perfection is mm. that you can spend forever working on this but unless you change your underlying story nothing will really change and 
you know what we what we firmly believe now is that you know the idea of trying to copy somebody else or copy a certain series of techniques is really a fool's errand and rather than rather than searching for this holy grail of consistency what about if you embrace the idea that you know if you if you run the right images through your brain that your body could organize movement in your own unique way and yeah i'm sure there's certain fundamentals that we perhaps need to look at occasionally but over and over, I'm sure Gary will back this up, over and over again, we get people to work on certain exercises where they don't think they're actually working on technique, but actually the technique transforms itself. Hmm. When, the mind, when the mind is quiet and when their attention is the, in the right place, it's amazing how we start to hear different puts, we start to see different puts, we start to see better putting strokes emerge, but not as a result of trying to work on the stroke. And that's the, that's the really exciting thing. Yeah, the really interesting aspect of that is we, you know, we believe not just through some harebrained idea, but just having witnessed and experienced it with a number of different players is that if you give a player a task, mm-hmm. then their brain and body will kind of organize the, the movement required around that task. Mm-hmm. So one of the exercises we get people to do is close their eyes. Imagine they're standing over a two or three foot putt and try to make a bad stroke. And they find it very, very difficult because as soon as you close your eyes, you're kind of starving your body in one sense, which heightens the others. Right. So as soon as you start to try to make a bad stroke, it would be an interesting exercise for you to try. <laughs> when you try to make a bad stroke, your brain kind of self-corrects. So huh. if the club starts to work on too much on the inside or the outside, it goes too far or whatever, your brain will self-correct because it knows it doesn't feel right. That is, so that is an that, interesting you know, drill, to try to make a bad it, stroke. Yeah, and I often film people doing that, and I should play it back to them and say, right, okay, yeah, but where's the bad one? <laughs> I say, well, well, that was the bad one. Wow. Because automatically, you know, subconsciously, your brain will not allow that bad stroke to, to materialize. So we, we talk rather than about trying to, you know, everyone's talking about trying to create a perfect putting stroke. Our premise is that if you start to pay more attention to creating putts rather than putting strokes... It's incredible what can happen. And, and listeners, if you're hearing this, it, I think you're sensing a theme that carries on throughout the book, The Lost Art of Putting. It's it's really a mental-based thing because, gentlemen, when I was reading the book, I, I couldn't help but wonder or, or at least think that, okay, well, the putting stroke itself isn't that complicated, at least in comparison to the overall golf swing. And so it makes complete yeah, you, sense. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, you, it's there's not so much technical or physical um, requirement to hit a three-foot putt as there is a 300-yard drive. Right. So, you know, it shouldn't be too difficult technically to to learn. Uh, One of the things I think for everybody listening to understand is that the body has an incredible ability to organize movement based around intention. We talk a lot about intention in the book. You know, if you have the intention to lift up a cup, you'll you'll lift up a cup to your mouth. You have an intention to feed yourself, you'll use a knife and fork, you know, intention to use a power, all, all those different things. When when you have real clear intention, what you're trying to get the ball to do relative to the hole, again, as we said earlier on, it's amazing how movement begins to organize because it seems when we get our attention in the right place, some some really quite magical things can happen. 
the body is an amazing thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Even uh, overcompensation or correcting naturally, and you don't even notice it going. I mean, that was something that was taught to me long ago um, about this game. And, you know, mm-hmm. gentlemen, one of the things in the book that I really, really was happy that you touched on was in regard to uh, intention, as you just mentioned, Carl, and, and specifically the chapter that talks about the two questions. You know, and one way that you summarize the questions was, the quality of your putting will be determined by the quality of your questions. I found that to be very interesting. And does that speak to kind of that intent, Carl, that you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, we we firmly believe that, that attention is everything. And not just in putting, not just in golf, it is in life. You know, your mm. your experience of life will pretty much be determined by what you decide to pay attention to. Mm. And, you know, most of the time with putting or not most of the time, with putting, we have this rule that your attention's either on something that's useful to the task or, or useless. And the great thing about, about questions is, you know, if I said to everybody now, you're listening to this podcast, what can you hear in the background? Immediately, people will probably just momentarily drift off somewhere else mm-hmm. because what quest- questions focus your attention. And that is just a massive, massive uh, element really of understanding how better to sort of work with your mind on the golf course because if questions focus your attention which they do surely surely the game of golf should be about asking some better questions now it, it, it can seem ridiculously simple to ask just a couple of questions on, on on the greens but you know we found the two questions number one is is it possible to hold this putt which, if you think about it, the answer is absolutely it is. You know, you may have missed everything all day, but you've got this unique putt, this unique moment in time. Mm. You, 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 only, you, only stop, you only stop the possibility when you shut it down yourself. And then the second question, what does this ball need to do to go in the hole? Now, again, if for anybody listening, if you just kind of repeat that to yourself, what does this ball have to do to go in the hole and, and picture yourself on the golf course? What your, the great thing about your brain, it's a question and answering machine. It will actually go to work to answer the question. Hmm. And prob- probably what you'll see is a, an image of the ball tracking on a certain line. But what we find very, very specifically is that you'll probably see an entry point. You'll probably see the ball going into the hole at a certain point. Now, the more rich these images become as a result of those questions, the more you're creating what we call a it's a dynamic map. It's a very clear map for your body to follow. And this is where we link intention, that if that map is really clear, the body's got a real great guide to actually organize movement around. And Gary, would you say that you've seen similar uh, with your students that you've taught? Yeah, absolutely. You know, intention, attention are are the keys to to good putting, to good playing, but especially on the on the greens. When we when we ask people, you know, these two questions: Is it possible the ball can go in the hole? Then you know, until someone builds a ball, a brick wall, or a bunker between your your ball and the hole, then the answer is always going to be yes. And strangely enough, you can actually see their their posture change, their their, their body language changes. They, they can think, oh, yeah, this, yes, it is possible. So straight away, it starts to make them feel a little bit better about themselves and the chance they've got, the opportunity they've got. And then when you ask, again, the second question, you know, what does the ball need to do? Well, essentially, the ball has to have a relationship with momentum and gravity. Not enough momentum, no gravity. Mm. Too much momentum, no gravity. So... You know, as Carl said, when you, when you ask that question, a very kind of rich image starts to form about what the ball needs to do. So essentially, it needs to travel on a line at a specific pace. And to kind of lead on from where we are with the questions, 
going on to line and pace, you know, when we ask our students, what, which would you say is more important, line or pace? Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, we would say, well, yeah, uh, pace is more important. Pace is more important. They, they totally understand that pace is more important. But then when they stand over the ball, their attention shifts back to line. Hmm. And what we found is that, well, if you look at pretty much any golf coaching, instruction, teaching, whether it's videos, magazine articles or books, most of what is talked about is line. But essentially, the line does not or cannot exist unless you have the appropriate pace. Hmm. And most people will tend to, uh, you know, training aids, most training aids are very much about the start line, very much about the line. You know, very little is talked about in pace. But really, what we've discovered is that pace gives you options online, whereas line limits you to perfect pace. So you can be slightly out with your line. As long as the pace is okay, or pace is good, the ball's still got a chance of going in. It can drop in the left-hand side, the right-hand side, the front, the back of the hole. You know, it effectively gives you a much, much much bigger target. And that's very true because it's very rare that I'll even play with a beginner golfer and, and they have absolutely no clue on how to start their, their putt off. You know, it's not like they're putting completely perpendicular to the hole. They, they know what they need to do. So that resonates with me about the conversation about getting the right pace down. Yeah. I think the, the thing is, Adam, that I, I would go as far as to say for the vast, vast majority of people listening to your, to your show, the quickest way, if they're interested in reducing the handicap, which I'm guess, guessing a lot of people probably would be, mm-hmm. the, quick, the quickest way would be to actually reduce the amount of three-puts that they have. Now, what we've found overwhelmingly is people don't three-put so much because they're dreadful at line. It's much more about pace. You know, what we find is people are much better at line than thing, but, but but much worse at pace. And the more your attention is at your end of things, trying to be perfect with your start line and trying to be perfect with your alignment and all the rest of it, the more it, that is at the, at the compromise very often at pace. And we find that the more your attention is at the whole end of things and the more you're tuned into pace, the more you'll actually start to get that ball within that sort of optimal distance of maybe, you know, six inches to a foot around around the hole. And then at the very, very least, even if you don't start holding a bunch of putts, you'll actually have a load of tappings during the round and you'll mm-hmm. reduce, your, you reduce your amount of three putts. And, you know, again, when you get people much more tuned into pace, it's, it's amazing. They start to see, as Gary said, you don't have to be perfect with your line if, you, if, you, if your pace is good. You know, once you get outside six feet, you know, if you can, for anybody listening, if you can imagine that you'd had three golf balls tracking towards the hole with a little bit of break at just the right pace, all of those three balls can actually fall into the hole. Mm -hmm. So mentally, we think that a lot of people see the line as, as only being as big as the line that they generally put on the golf ball. Now, that induces a lot of tension because that line is so small, it's like putting down a tightrope. However, if you, if you visually manage to see that the line, it's like we call it the three-ball highway. If you see the three-ball highway into the hole, it's amazing how, how that frees up the stroke. Hmm. And again, paradoxically, because the stroke is freer, your actual start lines get better. So you, so you reverse engineer it, really. You actually get better at controlling your line as a result of focusing more on the pace. What you also touch on in the book on that topic is uh, this conversation about intent and understanding the dynamic that you have to focus mostly on pace, and that's really the the, the paramount element of it. Yes. There's also this element of having realistic expectations, and what I love in the book is that you actually present data 
from uh, professional tours and saying, hey, by the way, folks, putts outside yeah. of eight feet, they don't make them all the time. How, no, does, think, how do expectations yeah. come into this? Well, I think what tends to happen is when we watch golf on TV, we tend to watch the best players playing their best. You know, you don't see, you don't tend to spend two and a half hours watching the guys pure scrambling about trying to make the cut. So, and if you watch golf highlights, you're seeing exactly that, the highlights. Mm-hmm. So we only really see on TV guys holding putts from all over the place. But these are the guys who are performing at their very best on that given day or that given week. But the reality is that most guys, even at the very top level, don't hold the number of putts we think they do. So when you look at this, the, the averages across the board, yeah, it's quite startling how uh, yeah, how few putts that the top players actually make all the time on, on a kind of week-to-week basis. True. Yes, they have their good days. But I think our, we're slightly misled by what, we, what we're presented on television. Carl, would you agree that in your experience it's just a matter of golfers coming in with unrealistic expectations? It, it, it is, I mean, yeah, definitely. And as Gary alluded to there, you know, I think the statistic is that even the best players in the world on the best putting surfaces in the world, once you get outside seven, eight feet, they, they miss more than they'll hold. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, again, I think with, with, with players, just be aware of your expectations. But also things like, you know, if you, if you leave a putt short, just as I say, within that, within that sort of foot short of the hole, you see a lot of golfers beating themselves up about that and then they'll say oh get the ball past the hole and for certain they'll do that on the next hole about five foot past and then and then all of a all of a sudden they're bringing in in the three foot you know uh, the three pot um one of the things to watch out for in the next time everybody plays golf because i promise you'll see this is you in your four ball you'll see a guy who'll hit a putt it, it, it'll be online with the hole but the ball will go five feet past, and somebody in the in the in the four ball will say, "Well, good putt. You gave it a chance." Well, <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't really. <laughs> you didn't really, because there's something called the effective hole size, and um, you know the size of the hole actually reduces. It doesn't literally reduce, but it reduces because of pace. So, and it, and it's and it really is dramatic that if you if you hit the ball with only enough pace to knock it three foot past, the actual size of the hole now reduces by about seventy percent. So, you know, this is this is why this 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 emphasis that we place on pace is just is so different in many ways, and but 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 so liberating because we do believe that that's it's 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 much more of a feel based thing and you know you can just have so, there's a lot of bunch of drills in the book about improving your pace and that they're, they're so much more fun than actually just standing there in the same place with a chalk line mm-hmm. uh, trying to repeat the same stroke over and over again which you know there may there may be a more boring human activity but i'm not sure <laughs> I've, I've found it to be honest no i've not experienced one i don't think <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could drive you nuts just standing trying to make the same putt from the same place using a chalk line, using, you know, putting gates with tees and whatever. It's just, it's madness. And if you keep trying to hold the same putt from the same spot, the same distance, time after time after time, you know, if you're training that way, it doesn't make any sense. You're never really going to experience that on the golf course, ever. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine if I set up all the tees in a training situation like I see on television, people at, at yeah. my course would think I've lost my mind. Um, yeah, uh, they'd it, probably be right. They probably would. <laughs> in, many, in many ways, you're very right there, uh, Gary. Um, so you also touch, and once again, listeners, we're talking to Gary Nickel and Carl Morris, authors of The Lost Art of Putting here. And gentlemen, I just have a couple more for you. And thanks again for uh, taking some time on your Saturday. Uh, we talk a lot about equipment. 
on our podcast, and you actually yes. touch on equipment in the book. Uh, Carl, why are mallet putters becoming so popular? I think that's more Gary's uh, side of things. He's the technical expert on the uh, on the equipment. I would hold my hands up and say I'm, I've got no expertise in that area whatsoever, so I'll, I'll pass that one over to, <laughs> to Sounds Gary. Good. Sounds good. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I'd, I'd a long couple of long conversations well when we were writing the book we thought it would make a bit of sense if we're going to write a book about putting it might be an idea to actually have <clears throat> someone talk about putters and putter design <clears throat> excuse me so through friends of mine at Callaway and Odyssey I contacted Sean Toulon who's head of design for mm-hmm. for Odyssey Sean's been on the show and sorry oh right okay great really 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 good guy and really really helpful and they basically put together a little section in the book on, on putter design. And basically, you know, they've, they've been the kind of at the forefront of, of mallet putter design technology. And essentially, if you can take the weight away from the face, you create a greater moment of inertia. So if you do hit it slightly offline, slight, sorry, slightly off center, there's going to be much less um, face twisting in mm-hmm. that. So the face isn't going to open or close. Plus, it actually effectively creates a, a greater sweet spot. Now, as we are so big on getting the pace right, if you don't hit it out the middle of the putter, your pace is going to be massively affected. Mm-hmm. So you can spend all the time you like on trying to get the right line. But unless you've got the right pace, it's always going to be a struggle. And unless you can hit it out the pretty much the center of the putter, your distance control or pace is going to be really hard to, to manage as well. So, yeah, I mean... I would implore anyone and everyone who's thinking about improving their putting to go and check out with a, a good custom fitter, a good pro, a good mm-hmm. coach to get their putter custom fitted for them because it's it's so, so important. It can make such a massive difference. And nowadays, I guess there's almost as much technology in, in putter design as there is in your, your oversized headed drivers and you know your primitive weighted irons. So it's definitely something we're, we're worth looking at, without without question. Yeah, absolutely, I had the chance to meet up with uh, Sean and then, of course, Austin Rollinson. Um, yeah, who, well, who Sean and Austin who wrote, yeah, exactly. They they wrote the piece for the for the book, and it was it was fascinating. Yeah, they're definitely. A, I think it's an understatement to say that those two guys know what they're talking about when it comes to uh, yes, comes to putters. Yes. Yeah. So uh, not to put you guys on the spot, but this is the last one I've got for both of you. And once again, this has been extremely informative, and I'm sure the three of us can talk about this for hours. But we definitely want people to go out and buy the book. And so We do, indeed. (laughs) um, Not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to ask if you could provide our listeners maybe not your best putting tip each, but something that you have seen work the most for the students you've worked with over the years. What, What is one item? that you can leave our listeners with, each of you, uh, to help improve their putting this, this the season? One, yeah, the one, the one I'll, I'll give um, would be so ridiculously simple, but it would be to change your routine before you go out to play because most people will go on to the putting green with three balls before they, before they go out to play, mm-hmm. which is, uh, has, has an element of insanity to it, really, when you think about it, because when you get out on the golf course, you only get one go. And, and the problem is putting with three balls, you actually get better as, as a result of feedback. You know, the first one's short, the second one's long, and hey, presto, you get the third one in. Whereas what I would say is, is go on to the green before you play with just one ball and, and aim just to create a bunch of different putts from different positions, you know, short, medium, long, and just just do exactly what you would 
do on the golf course. Go through your go through your process, ask the questions, and just get yourself mentally ready to put by what you do before you play. Don't do something before you play that bears no resemblance to what happens on the on the golf course. Hmm. And the reason why that's so important, if you think of the fundamental skill that you require to hold putts, you 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 have to predict what a ball is going to do based on one attempt. Not two attempts or three attempts. You have to predict based on one attempt. So it would be a really good idea to work on your prediction just based on one ball before you play rather than the sort of nonsense of, of going out there just with just with three balls. That's a good one. I, I do that, actually. And so now I'm not going to do that anymore. Thank you, Carl. This was just really for me, the tips for me. <laughs> Gary, how about you? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't argue with the, the logic that Carl's talked about there. Normally, if we ask people why they take three golf balls, they say, well, they come in sleeves of three. Which, yeah, okay, maybe they do, but it does make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> take what you're allowed out of the golf course, a putter and a golf ball. For me, the biggest thing that I've seen, the biggest kind of light bulb moment I, I see with a lot of the players I work with is actually green reading. Because you can have the best technique in the world. You can hit the ball at the middle of the putter every single time. You can get your line and your pace pretty good. doesn't matter how skillful you are. If you cannot read greens, the whole thing's going to be a real challenge for you. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that we talk about in the book, in the green reading section, is looking at the putt from the low side. Most people will read a green or read the putt basically from down the line. Now, we all... We've all been on the, the golf course at certain times in our golfing careers. We've hit a shot that's right down the flag. And you think, oh, you, it looks from a distance like the ball's almost resting against the flag. Then by the time you walk up onto the green, you discover it's like 25 feet short. Right. The reason for that is looking down the line alters depth perception. So it always looks shorter than it is in reality when you look down the line. Plus, when you're kind of crouching down to look at the putt, what tends to happen is your eyes will skim over the top of the ball and make contact with the ground about 18 to 24 inches beyond the ball. So if we, if that first two feet of the putt is either uphill or downhill, and we've missed out on that information, then we're going to really struggle to hit the ball the correct distance or the correct pace. And if we don't know what the, how hard to hit it, we're never going to be able to get the line correct. Hmm. So if you can figure out where the low side is, and it's generally fairly easy to see or figure out through your your eyes and your feet go to the low side and stand far enough back kind of triangulate almost if you stand far enough back so you've got ball and hole and peripheral vision you start to see every single putt in widescreen 3d hd and you can pick up the undulations you'll actually it'll look longer for a start i mean i've done this with guys who played professional golf and won major championships on the the pga championship tour Mm -hmm. Oh, one guy in particular, he'd been playing professional golf for something like 36, 37 years, and he said once he actually understood that by looking at the low side and, again, seeing hot ball and hold peripheral vision, he said, no wonder I keep leaving putts short because I'm, I'm seeing 10 feet by 12-foot putt. Hmm. So we would never dream of hitting a, a six or seven iron from the fairway onto the green if we didn't know how far it was. But it's almost as soon as we cross this invisible border from from fairway on to green, the distance is overridden by direction. You just wouldn't dream of hitting a, a shot on the golf course. You didn't know how far you had. Right. But if I asked you, or if I asked anyone who's listening, Adam, who you know, what, when was the last time you hit a putt? Then you didn't know how far it was. You'd probably say the last time you hit a putt. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you've got to pay attention to the distance. If you don't know how far you've got, how, how hard you know how to hit it. And your brain and body will only kind of make this, this create the putt long enough for the distance that your brain is telling your body to do it. And again, if you only see 10 feet of a 12-foot putt, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to give it much of a chance, really. So, yeah, right. green reading is so, so key to to linking everything all together. Well, listeners, I don't know about you, but I know I want to go run out to the golf course now with a putter and, and try some of these things, at least even these two items that both Gary and Carl have offered. And you got, you're got you talking, you're listening to two of the best, and they've got a new book out, The Lost Art of Putting, Introducing the Six Putting Performance Principles. You can find it on Amazon. Gary, Carl, once again, great conversation today. Thanks so much for, uh, for reaching out and for speaking with us today, and I hope we can do this again in the future. Thanks, Adam. Really, really enjoyed it. Yes, I really enjoyed it. Great to talk to you.